0: We are back in Nashville for our second day of coverage from the Top Producers Summit. It's all about risk management today. How to manage in a boom or bust egg economy, the challenge of managing a business in a rising interest rate environment, and what you can do to offload some of your weather risk.
1: From continuing coverage from the Top Producer Summit via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Agritalk. This morning we begin with a chat with Shea Folk from AgView Solutions. Then it's a conversation with Sam Taylor from Rabo. Later, Jeff Venice and Ryan Jones. And right after the news, Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chef Glory.
0: All right, Davis. Hey, buddy. Thank you so much. Yeah, this morning's broadcast is sponsored by Robbo AgriFinance. Thanks to Robbo for making our coverage on day two of the Top Producer Summit possible. Uh, big thank you to Robbo. Great partner Thanks, for Robo. AgriTalk. Yes. Thanks, Robbo. Yeah. yeah. And congratulations Uh to thank you silent uh (laughs) to silent shade planting company jeremy and elizabeth jack stacy Coger and willard and laura lee jack from belzona mississippi they are your 2023 top producer of the year award winners great family davis yes we had a great conversation with with jeremy yesterday on the show uh got to spend a little bit of time with them after the awards ceremony last night. Uh, just a fantastic organization. That I, that, that it, it, uh, and I say that with the, with the highest respect and I intend it completely as a compliment when I say that they are an organization because everything from start to finish, what they do each and every day is planned. Is absolutely planned. There's a reason for what they do. There's a reason for what each and every individual does. There is a reason that each family member is involved in that operation. And it's fantastic to spend a little bit of time with Jeremy and Willard last night, learn all about their operation. It was fun.
1: Well, and, you know, you, we know how you can plan to fail. It's fail to plan.
0: That, right. Right. And there is none of that. There is none of that happening at the Silent Shade Planning Company, no doubt about it, no doubt. Uh, really interesting. Uh, you guys need to learn more about it, topproducer.com. Uh, I, I believe they've got a uh, 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 the videos uh, that, that we use to get to know a little bit more about uh, the Jacks, and uh, uh, that's available at topproducer.com. All right? Cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy, let's do it. Let's get to the news. What do you got?
1: Chip, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association recently filed a notice of intent to sue the Department of the Interior and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service over the listing of the lesser prairie chicken under the (laughs) Endangered Species Act. The listing will take effect on March 27 of this year, and the states included in the species range are Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Colorado. A recent American Farm Bureau Federation survey suggests drought-related herd liquidation has slowed and may be nearing an end. AFBF economist Danny Munch says the surveys help assess the impact of drought on Western agriculture, and he has this to say. The last survey that we took in
2: 2022, 67% of respondents reported reducing their herd size in 2021, and 50% were further reducing their herd during 2022. In this survey, 62% of respondents were reducing their herd size in early 2022, and a much lower 17% reported they were further reducing their herd or flock. So this could signal a bottom of the liquidations that were occurring because of drought. It also could just mean that farmers didn't have any animals left to sell.
1: So, Chip, I'm not yep. sure how to take this. It could be really good news. The takeaway, perhaps liquidation is slowing because of some mild condition improvements yep. in those drought-impacted areas. Or maybe ranchers have just sold all they can at this point.
0: Yeah, Isn't that something? Uh, yep. And we have gone through some massive liquidation, no doubt about that. And the demand for hamburger in the country is keeping cow prices high enough that mm-hmm. it's still an attractive option. We talked with the, with Greg Henderson about that just a couple of weeks ago. So... I, ew, it may be a little early to call the bottom in this one. I had two
1: cheeseburgers for supper just last night, Atta boy. my brother. Atta boy. Yeah. The National Corn Growers Association lauded the Biden administration for issuing an official rejection of a recent proposed compromise from Mexico on biotech corn imports into the country. The development came during a meeting between USDA and Mexican officials. NCGA President Tom Hagg uh, praised the uh, administration saying, quote, this is significant a significant development and good news for corn growers. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I can hardly talk today. Uh, the Ukraine <laughs> conflict prompted concerns for farmers and uh, the industry when it comes to sourcing fertilizer. Moving prices higher now. Grow Marks, Craig Rule, announces prices have gone down since last fall, despite those issues not being resolved, but also notes fertilizer production is an industry ripe
3: for expansion. On the nitrogen side of the story, so we see that in the blue and green ammonia complex. I would say phosphates had been on a long march of increased production with the expanded production we see in Morocco and Saudi Arabia and places like that, not necessarily domestically. And then potash follows a similar nature. There's been big investments in Canada to drill new mine shafts and things. So production will be up and that's high prices attracts investments.
1: Well, and finally here, Chip, USDA released yes. its food price forecast using revised forecasting methodology. In 2022, food prices increased 9.9%. Um, <laughs> eggs were up hardcore, as we all know. USDA says yeah. in 2023, all food prices forecast to increase 8.0%, restaurant up 8.2%. Price decrease is expected for beef, veal, pork, and fresh fruit. Chip, all of our favorites.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely they've got egg prices up 32.2 percent yeah i don't yeah. know I, i've seen them go from a dollar 99 to five bucks a dozen yes that yes. seems like more than 32 percent i'm not really good at math mm-hmm. but Nor am I. it's that that seems like more than 32 percent we'll sure talk does. more about that later let's start. all right buddy thanks let's bring in let's bring in margie Ecclecamp, editor there at the scoop good morning margie
4: Good morning, Chip. Great to be with you, even though I'm not in Nashville. And boy, this is a blockbuster show today.
0: It certainly is. It certainly is. Hey, so let's get an update from last week. Uh, Let's talk about the future of ag retail. What does it look like?
4: Yeah, so we just hosted one of our farm country update webinars last week, talking about the ag retailer of the future. Folks can check that out on the farm journal YouTube page, but here are some key takeaways from it. And that is the ag retailer of the future will be aligned with who the farmer of the future is. So segmenting customers and being able to identify who those customers will be in the future and how you can provide value to them. Also, we talked about really doubling down on differentiators. What makes your ag retail business stand out and stand apart in the way that it provides value? So really teasing out this concept that gets brought up a lot about, does the ag retailer of the future supply diverse products, or do they change their business model and think about in the services that they provide? So again, another third thing that I wanted to highlight, it's something Mm -hmm. we've talked about before, Chip, and that is being able to stop talking about data and instead yeah. start delivering decision making yes. tools and being able yep. to be equipped for that
0: yep we've been we, we've spent a lot of time collecting data it's time to put it to use even even those that are using data in their decision making their day-to-day decision making we can do more with the data that has been collected it's time to get that that moving thanks Margie appreciate you thanks chip you bet. Margie Camp editor of The Scoop. Get more at www.thedailyscoop.com. Okay, Shea Folk from Agview Solution is up next. Thanks to Robbo AgriFinance for making coverage from TPS
5: possible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything.
6: AgriTalk is brought to you by Golden Harvest. The foundations
1: of a successful season begin with Golden Harvest game-changing corn. Find your hybrid at gamechangingcorn.com.
7: Welcome
0: back to AgriTalk and the Top Producers Summit 2023. We're here in Nashville. Uh, we're getting ready for a conversation with Shay Folk from Ag View Solutions. First, let's make time for this industry spotlight. Joining us now is Neil Wimberley. He is with Robo Agri Finance. Neil, it's good to see you again, buddy. How are you?
8: Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, but, uh, Right out of at all, a year. <laughs> right out of year, yeah. Uh, thank you for having us on, you know, yeah. inviting us to, to be a part and oh. participate. In, it's hey. a great event.
0: Yeah, the thanks goes to you guys for making it possible for us to do a little bit of coverage from TPS. Yeah. Everybody here is talking if, if there's one thing that everybody's got in common <laughs> yeah. that they're talking about yeah, it's dealing it's, with uh, higher interest rates
8: Neil It's not the weather that everybody no. wants to talk about anymore yeah no. um, you know I think I think we all have, have read enough to know that, that we're probably still looking at 50 75 basis points higher yeah. you know it's, it's probably now more of a talk of when and yep. at what level they're gonna do it. You know, is it gonna be three 25 point moves? Is it gonna be a 50 point and then a 25? Or are they just gonna hit you right in the head with the 75? And, you know, our, our research, you guys are probably looking closer to the, maybe we get a 50 point move. Okay. And then we and then we stall for a little bit and then maybe another 25. Okay. Uh, a lot of it's gonna depend, you know, <clears throat> I think we're seeing trailing numbers on inflation, maybe not as hot as they right. thought. Right. Um, so you know the hope the hope is that you know we we have the pain through the rest of this year right. and then we stop at least you know and and you know yeah. optimally we start coming back down a little right. easy in in 24 but okay. i think it's 24 before we see any right,
0: right. I, yeah. yeah i think you're probably right on that as well jay powell the the chairman of the federal reserve is still talking tough this when it comes to this economy
8: the, well this board is uh they've if they've proven anything they've proven, they're going to hold the course. Yep. And, um, you know, I don't know, a lot of talk is, you know, can you solve this stuff with interest rates? And and it comes back to, well, there's still a demand issue. Yep. And I don't know how the interest rate part of that comes into that solution. Um, So, you know, in a lot of our discussions with our clients and and with people in, in other parts of the industry, um this has now become just part of a holistic view yeah you know where it used to just be you know let's let's hammer interest rate talks yeah now it's you know you're gonna pay maybe you're gonna pay some more for your money right but if you're looking at it um you're getting more for your product yeah your your inputs are going up yeah but if you look at i think what we've looked at the last three years your margins are still staying yeah relatively stable
0: there's yes and
8: you know i think that's one of the things i noticed last night you know during the awards dinner when when we're when you're when you're highlighting everyone when you see the successful operations yeah they're they're looking and they're they're planning yes everything they're doing is on a margin yes you know you can't control the top part or the bottom part right but your operation is the middle you can
0: you can manage that margin no doubt about it uh the the other thing that that I want to remind people is is uh this is not a time to go dark on your lender. Make sure that you're having Never regular,
8: it's never a good time never to, go a good time, to go dark on but your boy, lender.
0: make sure that you're having yeah. conversations yeah. on a, on a regular basis with your lenders. And, Where can they go for more information on uh, that? Uh www.raboag.com. Yep. Yeah, get there. Find out what you need to do to maintain that that relationship with your lenders. Talk to your lender. Talk to your lenders. Yep. Yep. Good stuff, Neil. Yes, Thanks, sir. man. Thanks again. All right. That is Neil Wimberly from Robo Agri Finance. He is a sponsor of AgriTalk today. All right. Shay Folk, Ag View Solutions. Shay, are you there, buddy? It's good to talk with you. I am. How are you today, Chip? We're doing just fine. A little rainy here. How's, uh, you were here yesterday, and the, we had the sun sh- shining. You left, I would imagine, down in St. Pete. You probably got the sun shining again. It is. If
3: I open the door here, you <laughs> might hear the seagulls and the waves crashing in the background, so I won't do that. But, no, Top Producer was great there yesterday. Uh, awesome crowd. Really enjoyed meeting a bunch of new people there. And, you know, I loved, yeah. I love some of the comments Neil just made looking at margin and, and ROI. Yep. So excited to dive into a conversation on that chip.
0: Yep. you're. That That is exactly the reason that you're here because we're talking about boom or bust ag economy. You got to manage your way through through it. That was the topic of your conversation yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you learn from the group? The, uh, the feedback that you got?
3: You know, one of the biggest things that we see is When you look back over the last decade, and I would encourage anybody listening to this, if you could go back to 2012 and 2013 and know the things that you know now, what would you have done differently? And maybe not from exactly what happened from a production standpoint, but how did you manage your business decisions and what areas of your business did you focus on? And that's what we need to be applying and the years ahead. So the conversations that I had with people um, after the presentation here focused around, you know, how are we managing that profit margin? What is our strategic outlook, our strategic mapping plan for our farm? And what are our long-term goals?
0: Right, right. So it, margin, it, it, it's like Neil just said, it's, it's difficult to manage the top end. It's difficult to manage the bottom end. You got to take care of what's in the middle on the on on the the top end I'm talking about the input side of things it's never been more critical than it is right now to put pencil to paper and figure out what you're going to do on the input side of things isn't it Shay
3: Absolutely you know the the one of the top 5 things that we see producers do is knowing what their cost of production yep. is and absolutely dialing in uh, what their profitability looks like from a forward-facing standpoint. What I mean by that, Chip, is you know sometimes accounting can be kind of like looking in the rearview mirror, and yep. it's really hard to drive the vehicle of your business forward down the road if you're looking in the rearview mirror. So we want to analyze <laughs> that profit out the windshield. Yep. And and when we look at margin, the other thing that I would add to this. If you'll reflect with me for a minute, in 2012, 13, and 14, we had margins on corn of 36, 10, and 14% respectively. And then we went into the dark years, 2%, 0.5%, 2%, 9%, 7%, and this is real data from uh, farm operations that we work with. And then here, the last few years, we've had the boom, right? 10, 30, 33%, 16 and a half percent projected for 2023. The problem is, is we're gonna fall off here again at some point. If we don't, it'd be the first time in history that that ever happened. And by the way, every year in the last decade, we have had either a government or an insurance indemnity payment every single year. And when you start pulling those numbers out of the equation, that brings our average return on investment down about seven and a half percent on both corn and soybeans. So you're looking at a decades long average return of about 7% on corn and about 5.3% on soybeans. Mm -hmm. So how do we manage those lower margins in the years ahead? And kind of the analogy that I like to make here is, what can you do when this thing turns down to build the launch pad for your rocket so that when 2020, 2021, and 2022 hit, you're Mm -hmm. ready to take off? And so that was where a lot of discussion was mapped out on what strategic plans do we need to put in place? for the cool. years ahead.
0: Cool. That uh, yeah, really really cool stuff, Shay. Okay, some of the conversations that I'm having here with growers, it, it it's with with growers that say, "You know what? I thought I knew my costs. Turns out that I had just a good idea what my costs were and finding out now just how critical it is to know it right down to the the, the last dollar." How do <laughs> they do that? How do they put that that Process together?
3: Well, uh, what we like to say is good information in is good information out. So you have to be very detailed oriented and you also have to be very willing to have a higher level of management. You know, I told the groups yesterday if you're sitting in this room and you're not looking for more management, you can get up and leave. And I'm okay with that. But we need to manage our businesses a little bit better. So good information, good data in. There's tons of systems out there. Um, that you can utilize to do that, to dial in the cost of production. But as farmers, one thing I would caution is we tend to be conservative and we tend to say, well, if the yield isn't as good as I hope it is, and if the price isn't as good as I hope it is, and it cash flows, well, then we're still doing okay. Well, yeah, that's worked and helped you build your business over a longer period of time. It really doesn't help you make that good of marketing decisions. We yep. want to know to the penny what your cost of production is. So are you mapping out your return to management? Are you mapping out your equipment costs? Do you know exactly what your cost per bushel is on the equipment did, and yeah, on, the, did, on the
0: inputs? As Chris likes to say, did you accidentally buy a boat in the last year? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and that's okay if you did. By the way, and, yeah. and Chip, it's changed from buying boats to accidentally buying a Florida beach house. <laughs> um, I was in a, in a meeting the other day and I heard two farmers talking about, you know, Florida beach house shopping. So I guess we've, yeah. we've moved on there. But truly, you yeah. know, it's okay if you do those things and you should do those things because, right, why, you know, why are we working so hard if you, if you don't take time to enjoy it? That's right. However, that's right. If farm's going to pay for it, you better account for it.
0: That's exactly right, Shay. Great job, buddy. It was good seeing you yesterday. Have fun down there in Florida. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Jay Folk, Ag View Solutions. We've got Sam Taylor, Robbo next.
5: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use.
6: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
7: With the experts from Pro Farmer
0: joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Beige uh, corn's kind of caught in the middle of trade. We got soybeans slightly higher, and the spotlight is once again on the wheat market, with the uh, with wheat leading the gains. What's going on?
2: Yeah, so uh, wheat continuation of of yesterday's corrective gains, and and, uh, probably not too surprising. It got beat up uh, 16-month low on uh, Monday, and uh, so um, just trying to recover from that. Uh, But really... No real conviction to the upside other than the corrected buying soybeans soy meal they've reversed their overnight losses and trading to the upside here uh, but the uh, corn market uh, not uh, being helped at all corn traded to the upside overnight on follow-through from yesterday's gains uh, but kind of just holding around unchanged with a, a slightly weaker tone uh, here at mid-morning
0: it feels like this trend in corn has turned sharply sideways until we get a better handle on what our overall supplies are going to be in the in the year ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a large part of it. Uh, watching yeah. the South American weather situation, obviously, with the rains, recent rains in Argentina and, and how much impact that'll have overall. And then, obviously, the uh, safrina corn crop in yeah. Brazil is about three yep. quarters of their production.
0: Yep, absolutely. Okay, take us over to Livestock Trade. Uh, Some more pressure on hogs.
2: Yeah, uh, the cash index continues to decline there. Uh, It's only down two cents today, so maybe we're getting close to a seasonal low, and and seller interest isn't real great. We're actually seeing a little bit of buyer interest in the far-deferred contracts today, Uh, so that's potentially a positive sign. Uh, Cattle futures are kind of drifting, uh, just waiting on cash cattle trade to develop, and and we anticipate it will be steady, maybe steady firmer.
0: Gotcha. All right. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Uh, You are our guest analyst this afternoon on Agritalk. Brian Grady, Pro Farmer.
1: Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to Agritalk.
0: All right, welcome back to AgriTalk. We are in Nashville, day two of our coverage from Top Producer Summit. Thank you so much to Robo AgriFinance for making our coverage uh, possible. Uh, with that in mind, let's make time for this industry spotlight. Sam Taylor is with Robo AgriFinance. He joins us right now. Sam. I understand you're still working on, on Europe time, is that right?
7: Yeah, that's correct. Right. Back to Europe again this weekend, <laughs> having just got back from this.
0: So. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome Thank to you. Nashville and to Top Producer Summit. Thanks. All right. Uh, great job this morning on the U.S. Farm Report uh, panel discussion up there. Uh, obviously focused on inputs every if if the things if if we're not talking about interest rates at top at producer summit we're talking about inputs here yeah uh,
7: prices for fertilizer have backed off I hear that more and more now yeah I mean is the rare opportunity over the last 24 months to possibly offer a little bit of good news yeah you know? yeah like kind of I think that, and actually since the start of the year um, you've seen prices fall off in certain geographies by double-digit percentages, and even in in market in the Midwest, mm-hmm. you've seen certain products pull back at the wholesale and distributor level by ten percent. So um, it's a forebearer of some of the potential pass through to farmers that we could see some uh, some cheaper costs on the horizon. Right. Uh, so It's, good. Okay. it's positive. It
0: used to be that you could kind of get an idea which direction. Fertilizer prices, nitrogen prices in particular, would be going based on uh, on natural gas prices. It seems like that was disconnected for a long period of time, and, and it was just a corn-nitrogen price relationship. Natty Gas has got an influence on the market again, doesn't it?
7: Oh, sure. And I think that uh, we've seen that over the last... Um, like medium term future uh, past, you know, like uh, the downward trajectory in some of the nitrogen pricing has come as a result of natural gas pricing, underwhelming expectations in the European market. But on the flip side of that, you saw nitrogen pricing going up over the last 12, 18 months as a result of the nitrogen, the natural gas pricing in Europe. Uh, it is a forbearer of some of the risks ahead. You know, I think that in Europe, they have been much more or better than anticipated ability to import LNG and natural gas, yeah. uh, natural gas, and if they can't do that again, we run the risk that you could see pricing going in the other direction in the second half of this year. Right. If that
0: happens with natural gas, even if corn prices, even if corn prices are kind of tilting down, if natty gas prices in Europe go back to the upside, is is nitrogen going to have to follow?
7: Uh, yes, uh, I, I, w- I would. So sa- I would say that too. I, the other thing yeah. that's coming into play here, obviously, is uh, one of the deflators to nitrogen pricing has been that fall off in industrial demand for nitrogen. Mm-hmm. About fifteen percent of ammonia production, there and thereabouts globally, goes into uh, um, industrial demand, and that's got a correlation with GDP, like right? the mm-hmm. general state of the economy, basically. So, if we do see um, an improving outlook for the economy, which we have started to hear whispers of, you know, Eurozone not necessarily having the worst case scenario, North America potentially not going into a recession. quite so explicitly. If we do see some bounce back in, um, uh, industrial demand for nitrogen products, and we see natural gas pricing going up, you could see a decoupling to a certain extent between the price of natural gas and price of nitrogen and also corn prices.
0: Okay. The, (laughs)
7: Do, do we have an outlook for natural gas prices? I mean, I mean, you never want to be deterministic on these things in this market because it can be swung by a weather event. It can yeah. be swung by geopolitics. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, Everyone has been caught over the last two months uh, short on the natural gas because it's been had cooler weather across the globe, and I think in the European market, the TTF index has fallen precipitously, and you've seen uh, ammonia production come back online. You know in parts of the summer last year, we saw as much as 70% of ammonia production curtailed because of the price of natural gas. The cold weather being party to this, we now see ammonia production curtailed by only about 20%. And I think that we were coming into the January, February time period where if we had had a particularly cold uh, winter and Christmas period, holiday period, you could have seen curtailment go back up in... Europe yeah. again, and we've avoided that. So I, I would say that as with everyone who's predicted prices in the last 24 months, you know, I think some people have got it wrong on the natural gas, and I don't think it's their fault. It's more the weather.
0: Okay. Okay. Last fall, there was a concern not only about the price but the availability. Yeah. we're past the availability
7: concern, aren't we? On the availability on, on, on fertilizers. Yes, uh, we are. I mean, yes, and uh, this is this. But this is a function of timing to a certain extent because we okay. have seen material demand destruction in geographies on uh, double digit demand destruction on P and K and. Um, on, on nitrogen, so this has kind of loosened the global balance sheet. But this was also predicated on like the unknowns, and the unknowns were merited. We didn't know how much was going to come out of Russia. <laughs> we didn't know how much was going to come out of Belarus. And actually, there are still quite a lot of unknowns. You know, I was in Germany last week, and the spread between expectations of potash coming out of Belarus it was a spread of 40%. It was a two million metric ton difference Man. between expectations of what is going to come out of Belarus this year versus what's some other people think. So the shortages, they were a reflection of fear, they were a reflection of timing, uh, but they were also a reflection of the opacity in the market, and there's still really quite a lot of opacity. We don't really know what is going to come out, but the bias would be possibly volumes to the upside coming out from a production, and this could be a further deflator to pricing. Okay. When
0: it comes to potash imports into the U.S., It was like we couldn't have the conversation without talking about let's get rid of the tariffs. Over the last three months, I haven't heard any of the let's get rid of the tariff talk anymore. What's going on? What's the status there?
7: Um, Well, I mean, our biggest market for imports into the U.S. market is obviously the Canadians. Um, uh, There has not been any explicit tariff on potash out of the Russian market. And for a context standpoint... Russia is relatively normalized in export of fertilizers with the exclusion of ammonia, which is obviously a very rigid supply chain based on a pipeline which you can't move, and that's caught up right in the epicenter of a lot of the conflict in the Black Sea. So the potash is really flowing out of the um, uh, the Russian market. It's the Belarusian market, which is a slightly different kind of... Um, uh, Raft of tariffs Mm and inability to get to the port of Klaipeda, which used to export about 10 million metric tons of potash out of the Belarusian market. The longer everything goes on, the more the infrastructure can be built out around it. Um, Increased volumes going out of the St. Petersburg and also just companies that trade in these products not being caught within the rigid overcompliance risks. Mm-hmm. And that has taken a lot of times. So you speak to some of these companies in the, in, in, the, um, uh, in the industry globally, and they're still asking their central bank, like, if I trade with this company, if I trade with this country, if I trade with this trader, am I in breach of uh, compliance, sanctions, regulations, anything? And for the most part, a large amount of it was the answer was no, but they still hadn't got that sign off. And the longer this goes on, the more we just see a reflection of the global balance sheet and Um, tariffs being less of an issue on sanctions being less of an issue, really. Okay. All
0: right. USDA, uh, the Biden administration has been providing some incentives to US producers to increase production.
7: Yeah.
0: Has it moved the needle?
7: Uh, Short term, no. But what we have seen is we've probably uh, seen a huge inflow of headline commitments of capital towards the transition of certain uh, agricultural uh, or industrial agricultural production. So this particularly is hitting the nitrogen space where the Inflation Reduction Act has attracted all kinds of commitments from some of the key headline producers. And this is this is across the uh, fertiliser supply chain as well. I mean, we're seeing huge amounts of commitments to green ammonia, blue ammonia, particularly down in the Gulf. You know, how we can transition into a hydrogen as a future fuel type. You're seeing industries coming in, making commitments on logistic. You're seeing... private equity coming in making commitments on logistics and then you're seeing some other other companies based in the kind of the p and the k market Mm -hmm. who are saying okay well we can make a commitment uh, on lithium ion phosphate batteries so it's an across the board thing is it going to impact the availability and supply of fertilizers short term nope but it is a uh, an accelerant to change in flows of capital and uh, opportunities and Kind of the general dynamic of the industry going forward.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, the whole green movement. Yeah. It it seems to me that um, it the fertilizer industry is going is dealing with it, but it's it, it's going to be a headwind going forward, isn't it?
7: Um I mean, it depends what you mean by a headwind. I think that headwinds probably – and this is probably a little bit um, ethereal. But, I mean, you can always view all these as opportunities. And I think that That's true. the IRA, yep. the Inflation Reduction Act, has pivoted people's perceptions of, okay, okay, there's a price tag here. There's a – or not, there's a, a value pocket here. We can invest in this. Um I think historically you should potentially view nitrogen as going through several phases in industry geared towards munitions. Uh, then pivoting towards fertilizers. And maybe the next story is around the energy transition, the hydrogen, and certainly a lot of the capital is going towards that. And that could be an opportunity. Um, One thing that we have seen, and we don't really have the data or understanding of how this is impacting the headline demand, is high input prices, high commodity prices change that Calculus yeah. of return on investment for trying new products, complements, substitutes. And I think we saw a huge uh, step forward uh, in adoption of products that could offset some of the conventional products. And if this lasts, then growers feel more confident, they can proselytize yep. these values of this to offset this, offset that. We might see some headline. Uh, impacts on industry demand going forward. But I think that this will be a geography by geography basis rather than that's fantastic. Yeah. That's
0: what a great thought there. And and there are some of the products that are out there on the market now making that nitrogen use just that much more efficient. It's it's pretty remarkable technology. It really is. Yeah. Sam, I feel like we could talk for three hours, dude. Thank you so much for making time for us here on Agri Talk. Pleasure chip. All right that is Sam Taylor with Agri Finance. Okay. Let's talk about laying off some of that weather risk. We're going to have a conversation with Jeff and, and uh, Ryan from PRM coming up next.
6: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
1: Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag agri talk.
0: Welcome back to AgriTalk and to the top producer summit 2023. We're down in Nashville. Thanks again to Robo agri finance for making today's this morning's coverage from TPS possible. Uh, Let's talk about laying off some risk. We, we've got uh, the folks from Precision Risk Management with us right now. First off, Ryan Jones. Ryan, welcome to Agritalk. How are you, buddy?
9: Thank you. Good morning. I am doing wonderful. Top producer is wonderful. We're having a great time.
0: Yeah. Tell me about your role at PRM.
9: I am the marketing manager uh, at here at Precision Risk Management. So I'm helping take all of our ideas of how we support all of our customers mm-hmm. and make that easy for them to understand because we have so many services here at PRM to make farmers' lives easier and manage yep. their risk, but a lot of those topics are really hard to understand, so I try to boil it down to make it easy
0: for Excellent. Them. Well, I'm glad you're here to help us understand it as, as we go forward in the conversation. Jeff Zvenis is uh, the president at PRM. He joins us right now. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Chip. It's an honor to be here. I'm glad that you're here. Okay. It, 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 okay, you talked about your role mm-hmm. at PRM, Ryan, but Give us some more detail what precision risk management
9: is. Precision risk management is crop insurance, but not just crop insurance. It's okay. overall risk management to help our uh, producers really manage everything. And we're a bit unique in the crop insurance space. Mm -hmm. We are an AIP uh, and we sell directly to the farmer. So we're not using middlemen and we're cutting out all that middle layer. Uh, So us as a company are able to provide direct crop insurance and risk management services to the customers and farmers and really why why do they care that's because we can do so many more things for them we have on-farm service uh, that anything that's being done is on the farm on their schedule such as helping people with their precision technology we have a whole team of people to come out to the farm and help them with their precision technology setup
0: well and and one of the things that i've learned about prm over the last few years is that if 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 you if, if there isn't a product that's available on the uh, on the market right now that suits a producer's needs you're going to work with them and figure it out.
9: Yes, we, we are. Uh, that We have special partners that the MPCI program is a little bit limited, but uh, a lot of the producers have a lot of challenging problems that MPCI, the regular crop insurance, right. doesn't solve. So we have the right partners to find and create new insurance solutions for them to make sure that all of their risk yes. is covered. yeah.
0: Okay. Now, Jeff, so many producers think about uh, – crop insurance as a year-to-year decision. It needs to help me think longer term about crop insurance.
10: You know, as a a risk manager, our goal is to be long-term. Take a profitable year. Can we stretch that into two? Can we stretch it into three years by using our tools and some of our ideas on multi-year protection? Because let's keep this profitable situation going because we really need to protect equity and we need to grow profit. I love the crop insurance program because if, if something falters, we're right there to pay it. Uh, but when you have good yields going, let's all work together And how can we encourage marketing? How can we encourage the protection and the preservation and the creation of equity?
0: Okay it seems like a big project. It It, is. It it, it does. And so take us through that thought process on how you're going to do that, how you're going to turn your crop insurance coverage into wealth preservation for the the most part.
10: Well, don't make any bad deals. It's nice. We have some softwares that we use that, that help us truth source financial decisions so that we don't make Uh, Sometimes I say we because I come from a farm (laughs) background, so I I, kind of got my arm around a farmer right now when I'm saying (laughs) we. Let's make really smart choices that, whether it's in purchases or in in, uh, selling forward, that we can prove through software that this was a smart choice. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we may have to wait for a sale or for, for a purchase. But our eye it needs to be on the ball of protecting your equity, growing your equity, and growing your legacy.
0: Yeah. I don't think, Jeff, I don't think people think about crop insurance in that way.
10: Well, I'm not as young as I used to be. So as we grow <laughs> and we grow in this business and you realize over the horizon, I want those that come behind me. I want those that are gonna take over this farm or whatever, as a parent, you want them to be able kind of be a trampoline off of our careers. So we need
9: to be really good at that. Yeah, Yeah. People think of crop insurance in the basic terms every year of, oh, sales close dates coming around. What did I do last year? That will work this year. And that is such a simplified version of what crop insurance is and really what the program was created for. That there are thousands to millions of choices and different programs you can do to leverage that to really protect your operation for this year, for three years, for five years, for your next generation. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what the program is created for. And crop insurance is just not that simple. That you can use it as part of an overall strategy to be more efficient and more profitable for years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, Jeff. We got the farm bill discussion coming up in 2023. Crop insurance is at the top of the priority list for darn near every commodity group. No, it, it's at the top of the list yeah. for, for every commodity group. Um, the hope is just don't screw it up, right? It is. And through your meetings, which, by the way,
10: this convention is fantastic. Uh, This is exciting, and we went through that, the Farm Bill presentation yesterday. Mm -hmm. You're right, Chip. Most groups, if not all groups, are saying just don't screw it up yeah uh, it doesn't need a tweaking there's opp- well there's opportunities to for it to work better on the local level but at the federal level th- they're doing a good job and both parties agree for the most part just don't screw it up yeah
0: yeah absolutely this we've only got about 40 seconds left okay. here but i'm going to ask this what kind of reaction do you get ryan from producers when you talk about this this longer term concept with crop insurance.
9: I think utter shock. Uh, yeah. because no one is ever That's ta- how I am. No one's ever talking about it. And when you tell them about it, it opens their eyes and only it opens the door a little bit. We want to kick the door down and show them all the possibilities.
0: Okay. So where do they go for more information on PRM?
9: You go to precisionriskmanagement.com and there'll be contact forms. If you want to learn more, we'd be happy to talk with you.
0: Fantastic. We'll come Jeff's, to your farm.
9: It, and we will come out to your farm and help don't you out. be surprised if Jeff pulls into your driveway. <laughs> <laughs> if if uh,
0: if you get on there and, and take a look at that, guys, thank you so much, Jeff Venice from uh, Precision Risk Management and Ryan Jones. Thanks so much for listening this morning to our morning coverage from TPS. We're going to have more this afternoon. Pro Farmer is our sponsor this afternoon, and Brian Grady will be our guest analyst. FM
5: on the radio.